podcast family as proof that we read every single message that comes our way. This is a direct response to really the last 24 hours. Uh, and the reason is we just released an episode called Inositol and PCOS. And man, I mean, it just kind of blew up uh, uh, in our inbox about, hey, what's going on with the dose? Which uh, Where can I get this? And so my first answer is, hey, uh, uh, I'm not a distributor of this thing. I'm, I'm just giving you the data. It's not like I make it or distribute it. And I surely I'm not going to plug one company over another because uh, that's not what we're here about. Um, but, but most of the messages, uh, let me just tell you how this went. In the last 24 hours, we received 18, 18, 18 messages all in one episode, which is a lot in a short period of time. Because we usually don't get that. We usually get them sporadic and, you know, some people listen to it, uh, you know, when it's released and some wait, you know, the next day or the next week. Anyway, but within 24 hours, we received 18 messages going, wow, I never knew that. You know, thanks for the episode. Uh, what about the dose? So they're all very nice. One message said, <laughs> and look, man, we love all the messages. All right. We really do. I, 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 I look at each one individually. But one message was, I can't believe you didn't tell us the dose. Now, I read that in my own mental bias as somebody telling me with their finger waving like at their phone, like, I can't believe you didn't tell me the dose. Uh, and so my first response in human nature was, well, I don't have to tell you anything. <laughs> And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Actually, that's a pretty good thing. I should include the dose. <laughs> so I, I don't know if they were being snooty or not, but I'm going to take it that they were not. How about that? So for, those, for that person who sent me the message that I can't believe you didn't include the dose, relax. I'm going to tell you right now what the dose is for myo-inositol for PCOS uh, treatment. All right. So I'm going to get into that. So that's the first reason we're doing this episode, which we are calling follow-up on uh, myo-inositol dose. We're also going to talk about quickly about um, uh, zoranolone because that's hot as well. We've received a lot of messages about this, uh, about the new FDA-approved oral medication for postpartum depression. And, and we're going to talk about two things here uh, that you all have brought up to us. One is, hey, well, can I use this for major depressive disorder? Uh, and the first answer is no, uh, but we're going to explain why. The second answer is we're, we're going to, so no, and then we're going to explain why that's the case. And the second question is, well, can you use this alone or in combination with another medication? And and I touched on that in our previous episode. I think that was on August the 10th. Was that it? Someone's going to look to see if it was August 10th. I think it was August 10th. Uh, that we covered uh, Zoranolone for postpartum depression. Uh, so we'll talk about that. So we're going to talk about um, the dose of myonositol. Then we're going to move over to uh, Zoranolone and why it's not yet indicated for major depressive disorder. And we're going to talk about whether it's standalone or in combination therapy. And we're going to wrap up talking about another maneuver for shoulder dystocia that originally to be fully transparent, uh, I had included in our podcast that covered the maneuvers on shoulder dystocia. If you're like, hey, what episode was that? Well, go back to the archive. It couldn't be more than, what, two weeks ago, I think? Um, I guess we'll tell you the date. But anyway, it's like within the last two weeks, we covered on on how the specifics and key pearls for shoulder dystocia uh, maneuver uh, performance, okay? And somebody sent me a note. Uh, I can't believe you didn't discuss the shoulder shrug maneuver. Well, what's up with that? I didn't include that because, well, I'm not going to tell you right now. We'll get to it into the episode, all right? Now, I actually did. When we first recorded that, I had a section on there on the shoulder shrug, the posterior shoulder shrug maneuver. And then I'm like, you know what? Let's let's take that out because of X, Y, and Z. And I'm going to tell you what X, Y, and Z is 
as we progress. Y'all ready? So let's cover doses of myonositol. Then we're talking about geranolone very quickly. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the shoulder shrug maneuver. Here we go. Medicine moves real fast. We're here to help us all keep up the pace. This is Clinical Pearls. Okay, let's start with myo-inositol and dosage, okay? So if you haven't listened to the episode, you got to go back and listen to that because um, although I'm a little biased, there's a lot of really good info in there. I mean, it is evidence-based. Uh, it makes biochemical sense. Uh, and why we really haven't focused on this honestly does escape me. I gave a couple of ideas at the end of that last episode, but and you got to listen to that. But the truth is we're finding out now that these micronutrients that really, it really does go back to the heart of nutrition. These things are valuable uh, for our overall care, and it's pretty big for, for PCOS, okay? So we can now determine that the root cause of the insulin resistance, which seems to be the pivotal factor, the door opener there for PCOS, really has to do with, with a altered ratio of myo-inositol and uh, dechiro-inositol because there's an enzyme uh, in the oocyte cells, which is a pimerase, that once that gets programming, and it's a lot of that is genetic, uh, to convert myo-inositol, which is the insulin sensitizer, we want that one, uh, to the insulin more antagonizer and the one that produces more androgens, dechiro-inositol, when that enzyme is turned on, we get this, uh, this ratio disruption where dechiro-inositol now overrides the favorable myo-inositol and boom, short of it is you get insulin resistance, the dominoes keep falling, boom, 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 and then you get PCOS. All right, fine. So that was a quick recap for myo-inositol and PCOS. Um, but, but two things that we didn't address in that episode really for time uh, was the dose, which we're going to cover here. Uh, and then the second is uh, somebody else asked, well, which PCOS phenotype does it seem to work the best? So I'm going to discuss that as well. All right. So first of all, in terms of dosages in the publications, there's been a lot of different um, uh, doses put out. It seems that the floor, the minimum is two grams twice a day. So that's four grams, okay? That's for PCOS and insulin sensitization and reversal of some of the metabolic factors, okay? So two grams twice a day. Just to let you know this therapeutic window, look how large this is, because this has actually been studied up to 16 to 18 grams a day. Now, that's that's a lot, okay? So I, I probably wouldn't do that. I mean, I, I don't know how you have time to take that much inositol during the day, but two grams twice a day or four grams divided uh, is the nutritional standard and the biochemical standard that looks like uh, what is optimal for myo-inositol uh, for PCOS uh, reversal, okay? So, so that knocks that out. The second thing is there is data that this is much more effective, obviously, those with insulin resistance, because that's the hallmark here. But remember, insulin resistance uh, or, or clinical insulin resistance is not 100%, right? I mean, it's pretty high, and it's higher in those that are obese and less so in those that are lean. But it may be that it, the reason it's not 100% is when you check it and they're not insulin resistant is that they're not insulin resistant yet, does that make sense? So there, there's this there's this evolving story of, oh, insulin's not working right, something's going on at a biochemical level, and then boom, now you reach over and cross over into insulin resistance. But but because this factor here, remember we said that decaroinositol, because of epimerase, here it is, guys, uh, that's one that kicks 
on the the androgen production in the theca cells, right, which affects FSH, the LH ratio, uh, and, and androgens by themselves are slightly insulin antagonistic. So all of these factors have to do with epimerase and the increased androgen production. Okay, and so there's great data that this works much better in the patients that obviously have already clinical insulin resistance, and you can measure that, uh, or that are androgenic in the PCOS phenotype. So it was actually published uh, this year in 2023 in the journal Biomedicines that myo-inositol works for a large number of PCOS patients. However, it didn't work as well in those who had non-hyperandrogenic PCOS. So if that stumps you, non-androgenic PCOS, like, oh, I thought all PCOS were, was androgenic. No, remember, there's different phenotypes, just like not all PCOS patients are anovulatory. That's part of our own personal bias, right? There's different kinds of PCOS. And as I mentioned in that episode on inositols, you've got to go back and listen to that because there are different letter designations, okay? But that article that showed that, yeah, it, just, it didn't really seem to work that great in non-androgenic PCOS is because it goes back to that epimerase factor, right? So epimerase is the one that takes the good inositol, myo-inositol, converts it into the bad inositol, the chiro-inositol, uh, and it's manifest clinically as hyperandrogenism, either clinically or biochemically. So th- that article, uh, the title is Treatment with Myo-Inositol Does Not Improve the Clinical Features in All PCOS Phenotypes. So I'm doing this right now just as a fair balance that, again, it's not, the, it's not a cure-all, it's not a wonder drug, it's not going to wipe out um, PCOS from the face of the earth because there's different phenotypes, but it does work best, it seems to work best in those that are uh, already clinically hyperinsulinemic uh, or showing signs of insulin resistance and, of course, are hyperandrogenic, all right? So again, the journal is Biomedicines in April 2023, uh, and the lead author on there is Umfer. I actually included this in the reference list in the Inositol episode. I think it's the last reference on there. Is that right? Yeah, it's the last it's some last reference on there uh, under Journal of Biomedicines. So, and I want to be very clear, I, I do believe in this. I think myonositol definitely cannot hurt you. If you can take 18 grams a day, good God, first of all, that's a lot, uh, and, and not get into big any issues here, four grams a day is, is not going to hurt you. Uh, so I'm a big fan of this. I, I think, man, if, if you can get in the data, I believe, man, it, it's good. Um, now, people criticize it, as we talked about before. Well, it's not great data. Uh, hey, but it's RCT and it's 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 uh, it's moderate uh, quality data with some studies being uh, better than that. Of course, some are on the lower end of that or fair. But as a group, there is evidence here that favors myo-inositol for PCOS. Uh, and if you take it and it doesn't do you, and do you any harm, well, at least you're healthier uh, for it anyway because it also impacts mood. So how about that? So yes, as we talked about a little bit in that last episode, there is data on that for depression and anxiety as well because it helps with neurotransmission. So even if it doesn't reverse your PCOS, hey, maybe you'll be happier for it. Now let's get into zoranolone, all right? This is super interesting as we cover zoranolone or Sirzuvi. I mean, this is hot off the press still. Remember, it was just approved by the FDA as an oral indicated medication for postpartum depression, right? Yes, we've got other meds, but this is specific for postpartum depression. And we have an episode on this as well on August the 10th. Okay, so it, it's a sister molecule, sister medication to brexanolone, but brexanolone is a 
pain in the ass. I mean, let's call it what it is. It's super expensive, like super expensive. And it's IV and you have to take it for 60 hours and you have to be monitored because it can knock you out. Yeah. How's that for great? Uh, hey, I'm, I'm thankful for it. We've got something, but uh, it's got issues, okay? So Surzuvi, uh, which is Zoranolone, which is it, it's the, the brother of Brexanolone, is a big deal because it's oral, and it's just for 14 days, guys. The idea was is that this was going to be like an antibiotic, not taken daily, not chronically, was you take it for 14 days, boom, and then you should be good. And it worked. The catch is uh, the data only went... Uh, into like 42 to 45 days or I'm not sure, you know, what happens after. It's unclear if you can take it again, if symptoms recur. Um, so there are some issues, but taken for 14 days, the and it started to work. Here's the catch, guys. It started to work like in three days. I mean, most antidepressants remember whether it says SSRI or SNRI. Um, I mean, it takes seven to uh, 14 days. This is three days. They're like, hey, I feel better. It's amazing. I mean, nothing is like that in terms of its speed, except for one other medication that we'll talk about in a minute, uh, because that actually didn't get a lot of love. But but that's not for necessarily for postpartum depression. That's just for depression in general. Uh, that was approved in 2022 because uh, that works uh, pretty quick as well. Uh, but as we get back to Zranolone, uh, this is approved for postpartum depression. Okay, so the question was. Um, well, what does ACOG say about it? That was one of the questions that we received through um, through our, our Facebook page. And I posted that uh, on our, our Facebook page as well because ACOG did release uh, its practice advisory about it. And the short of it is, hey, they're like, hey, whatever works for postpartum depression, we, we've got to get this thing in check. So yeah, I, we're, we're all for it. Um, go ahead and do it. Just follow the rules, which is be careful for sedation. Remember that it's right now just for postpartum depression. And it should be taken with a fatty meal. Uh, and, and just, you know, it does require some monitoring uh, because the patients, number one, should not take this if there are any chance that they're going to get pregnant because, quote, Zoran alone may cause fetal harm, end quote. <laughs> so there's a new pregnancy registry uh, for follow-up there. Uh, they can't drive a car within 12 hours of taking the last dose because it can make you super sedated. So you've got to be careful. Avoid benzos, right? So look at all, there, there are these things that you've got to... Uh, uh, watch for when you're taking this medication. And regarding breastfeeding, and we talked about this as well, uh, the college says something about that as well in the practice advisory. It states, quote, Zoranolone uh, passes into breast milk, although uh, with a dose lower than that of SSRIs, there's no data on the effects on a breastfed infant and limited data on milk production. The patient's clinical need for Zranolone and the development uh, and health benefits of breastfeeding should be balanced through shared decision-making. There's the famous word again. Uh, that considers continuation, so you can talk about that, pumping and discarding uh, through one week past treatment uh, or just complete cessation of breastfeeding. So it goes into the patient's value system. We don't think that it's harmful. Uh, it passes in there with a less amount than traditional SSRIs, but the patient gets to decide, all right? So do you want to continue? Do you want to pump and discard? Or do you want to stop altogether? All right, so those are valid points. Uh, also, an important thing to remember is that right now, Zranolone uh, is a controlled medication. Right? So the FDA does call this controlled. What that means is uh, you got to uh, keep a log of who you register with, uh, who uses it, because it can cause abuse because uh, of if it's sedation effect. So it has the potential for, for, for abuse uh, and misuse. So it is considered a controlled medication by the FDA. 
All right. And again, the data in the trials only went to 42 days. Okay. So we don't know what happens afterwards, if they'll have a rebound at three months. I mean, we don't have that. But ACOG says right now at 50 milligrams, um, because it, it does seem to work, uh, then we're all for it. And if you get a lot of sedation, then ACOG says you can consider reducing the dose to 40 milligrams if, if the sedation is a big deal. Okay, so those are the quick points on Zoranolone. Now, somebody asked about uh, administration with another antibiotic, and the answer is yes. Not only does ACOG recognize that, but in the original studies, a good percentage of patients in one study, I mean, it was like 20%, another one was a third of the patients, were on an existing antidepressant. Okay, so yes, you can use Zoranolone either alone or in combination. Now, here's what's not known. It's not known what the best way to use it in a combination is. I mean, we don't have this data. I mean, it, it just came out. In other words, do you start a regular medication first and then add brexanolone? Uh, do you, I mean, zoranolone? Do you start zoranolone first by itself and then add the uh, traditional uh, antidepressants? We don't have that data. But it is approved either for uh, standalone use or for combination therapy. Okay, so we just don't know what that actually looks like because we don't have that evidence. But but yes, it, it can be used either alone or together with a traditional antidepressant medication. Before we leave this issue of Zoranolone, uh, somebody else asked on the Facebook page, hey, this sounds great. It works fast. Can we use this for major depressive disorder or MDD? Uh, and the short answer is right now is no. Okay, and the reason it's no is because the FDA actually denied the approval for uh, this medication for major depressive disorders. Not because the data wasn't there, but the data was a little bit confusing, okay? So in in one study, uh, which is Shoreline, and in another one called the Waterfall Study, don't you love these these names, okay? So in both the Shoreline Study and the Waterfall Study, which was not for postpartum depression, but for major depressive disorder, uh, Zerzuvi did meet their primary endpoints, and those were phase three studies, okay? However, uh, the actual effect, uh, the margin of improvement was very small, okay? So that was uh, kind of a bummer. Plus, there was a separate study that was another phase three investigation called the Mountain Study. Woo, shoreline, waterfall, mountain. I mean, it looks like we all need a vacation, right? <laughs> okay, so the, the mountain study uh, was was not so favorable. They're like, oof, uh, at one dose, which was like 20 milligrams, it didn't really do anything. 30 milligrams, it, it did seem to do something. Uh, and so the FDA said, it, it, if it works, then it works. It should work on everybody. Uh, and so we have some, some confusing things here. So remember that Robin and uh, the Skylark studies, those were postpartum depression. That's called the NEST uh, project. And then there is Waterfall shoreline and mountain that was for a major depressive disorder in both men and women and right now that's on a hold okay so cancer cancer zuvi uh can this work for major depressive disorder the data is is yes but it's not a solid yes but more importantly it has not yet received approval by the FDA as of August the 29th, 2023, which is when we're taping this, okay? Uh, so the FDA, you can look that up online. It, they release what's called a CRL, okay? That's a complete response letter, which is, hey, we're not going to give it to you right now. 
Uh, but why don't you give us more trials, uh, uh, hammer out the data a little bit more, and then if you show that it definitely does work, then we can come back and, and take a look at it again. So it's a conditional no, all right? Those are called CRLs, complete response letters. So can you use this for major depressive disorder? I guess you can use Zerzuvi off-label, uh, but it's not indicated right now for MDD, just to be clear. Okay, now we're going to end with the shoulder shrug maneuver. You're like, what the heck is that? Well, there may be a reason that you haven't heard of that. But I found this super interesting because just this morning, again, what's it, Tuesday? We did this on Tuesday morning uh, with our school of nursing um, and, and and their faculty, which they're just fantastic. Uh, so Tara and I, Tara is one of our partners from School of Nursing. Uh, we did a uh, a little video on going through the steps for shoulder dystocia. We did that for postpartum hemorrhage, uh, for uh, internal training for hospitals that are rural to prepare them for the the most horrific stuff out there, right? So postpartum hemorrhage uh, and shoulder dystocia, and we talked about the the shoulder shrug maneuver. Uh, but you remember, we recently did an episode. That was a critical review of the external and internal maneuvers, and we found that, you know, basically the data really shows that, man, if you can pull that posterior arm out, I mean, that, that really works. Just do it correctly, right? Your whole hand has to go in there. Uh, make sure that you, you know what you're grabbing, and once you uh, get to the antecubital fossa, you know, flex it so you can get the hand, and then if you pull the arm out, that posterior arm release has the best data uh, for resolution of shoulder dystocia at the max of like 97%. I mean, that's not my number, guys. That's in the uh, gray journal's uh, review uh, on shoulder dystocia, okay? 97%. But you got to know how to do it, and it's technically kind of hard. If you've got a big old baby who's squished into a tube and putting your hand down there is not the easiest thing. But it works. So somebody sent me that message. I can't believe you didn't talk about the shoulder shrug. What about the shoulder shrug maneuver? Well, to be honest, I actually did include that in the original episode, and I took it out. And he, uh, this went back and forth. And the reason I took it out um, is, is very simple. And, and even it's not even really discussed in that expert review from the Gray Journal. The reason is we have no data from a population level what the shoulder shrug maneuver uh, actually can do. And the reason is, is that this came out in uh, 2019, uh, and, and this wasn't like a large case series. Guys, this was an N of three. Okay, that's number three, like one, two, three. The title is Shoulder Shrug Maneuver to Facilitate Delivery During Shoulder Dystocia. Super interesting. Uh, it's in the Green Journal in Obstetrics and Gynecology under Procedures and Instruments. But I want to be very clear here. We don't have any long-term data. Remember that previous episode that we did uh, on the maneuvers for shoulder dystocia? I gave you the percentages of of, of which one seemed to work the best. We talked about uh, McRoberts, uh, Rubin 1, which is super pubic pressure. We talked about... Ruben 2, Woods Corkscrew, the posterior arm, and I gave you percentages of which of which ones are most likely to work, okay? Well, we just don't have that data for the shoulder shrug. Let me explain what this is. Now, I got to be honest, it is much easier to do the posterior shoulder shrug than it is to do posterior arm delivery. The, that's the plus. That's the benefit. That's the pro. The con is we don't know if the, what percentage is going to work because we had an N of three when it was published. Okay, so let me just briefly tell you what the shoulder shrug maneuver is. Okay, so you got the baby. Baby's stuck. Let's say baby's head is looking towards maternal left. Okay, 
So head is out. We're looking at the vagina again. And the fetal chest or baby is uh, facing maternal left. Great. The, the shoulder shrug is taking, putting your hand on the posterior shoulder. Okay, grabbing the posterior shoulder and then putting your thumb through the axilla and then with your index finger or middle finger, typically with the index finger, is grabbing them like the OK sign. Y'all do that, everybody, right now. Whatever you're doing, do the OK sign. OK, right? What was that about? It's like the OK sign. Okay, so the thumb and the index finger. Uh, by the way, uh, y'all see the, the new profile picture. Like, what? Why do? You, what, what is going on there? What are you doing with your glasses? Now, I never noticed this, but somebody when we were doing an episode, that, they they brought this to my attention. Like, you ever notice that when you are like you're in the middle of something, you're really into it, and or you're frustrated, you grab the glasses uh, like a little spectacle and you move it up like an OK sign. And you know, and I said, I, I never noticed that. And so anyway, they said we should do that as your as a new profile pic for the podcast. So that's where that came up from. Uh, so what the heck am I talking about? Oh, yeah, the OK sign. So you put your thumb under the axilla, put your finger uh, on the ventral side. And so it's like a pincher grasp, right? So you're grabbing the post of your shoulder in a pincher grasp. Then you shrug the shoulder. So you just move it. You pull it out of the vagina and then just move it, rotate it towards the baby's chest. Y'all get that? So it's a, 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 another way of rotation, but by doing it just at the axilla. So pull out and then rotate, shrug the shoulder. So you pull it out to so like shrugging your shoulder. Like, I don't know, right? A shrug is shoulders going up. So pull the posterior shoulder up and out and then pull it up, rotate it up towards the anterior chest. The idea is as you're pulling up, as you're shrugging the shoulder and rotating it towards the anterior part of the chest, that the anterior shoulder will rotate away. All right. So again, you, you got to rotate that posterior shoulder towards the, the baby's chest so that it goes in, in a rotation to move the anterior shoulder away from its side of impaction. That was an N of three. So I get it. I'm, I'm worth trying everything. Remember, there's also the posterior arm sling, which is almost kind of the same idea uh, without the rotation is basically a, a serving as a wench, right? To grab, put axillary traction to wench that shoulder out. And then with continued downward traction, you can free the impacted shoulder, okay? Uh, but anyway, somebody asked about the shoulder shrug. And the reason we took it out is because we don't have population data on the percent that it's effective. And it was an N of three, so the short of it is that while it's technically difficult, it's hard to put your hand in back of that posterior vagina and feel for the arm. I get that. I've been there and it's 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 frightening uh, and it's hard to do that. Technically, it's difficult, but um, things that are hard sometimes are worthwhile doing, right? Because this does have good efficacy. You pull that uh, posterior shoulder out. Remember not to pull too hard or in contrast, as we're trying to prevent a uh, an herbs de chaine, then we get a, a clumpy palsy which is the pull arm palsy, right? So, you know, everything should be done correctly with respect, with taking our breath, uh, you know, pausing, breathe, right? Breathe, it's going to be okay because when we start freaking out, the room freaks out, the patient freaks out and we can freak out inside. We just can't freak out on the outside. So do follow the steps, follow them correctly and, and then and that's how we prevent harm. So the, the purpose of that expert review and even ACOG says, yeah, we should probably move up rather than messing with other things and rotation things. Uh, just consider going for the posterior arm. But the shoulder shrug maneuver is nice. It just doesn't have a lot of data. And that's why we took it out of the original recording.
All right, podcast family, that was our quick follow-up episode. So we covered three things, the dose of myonositol. We covered Zoranolone, uh, which was approved for postpartum depression, but not for major depressive disorder right now. And then we covered the shoulder shrug procedure. All right, podcast family, as always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.